Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, just look at the weather forecast. It is not going to rain. It's all good. So, uh, hey, make your plans with us. We'd love to have you there here in just a few minutes. You know, we, uh, as I was thinking about this week, uh, just realized as I was preparing for this fly to leave my presence here. Okay. Um, uh, just noticing that we are about to approach the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Did you, did you realize that? It's sneaking up on us here. And, and so for most of us in here of a certain age, we know exactly where we were. Like we were, we were watching, I was in a restaurant actually, and, and uh, we thought it was just a small plane. That's what the broadcasters thought. Then suddenly we saw live the second plane hit the building. But you probably don't forget that. But what you may or may not remember is the, is the, the address to the nation that President Bush did that night. Twelve hours later. Do you remember that? He only spoke for five minutes. And he began actually by, by giving some very practical information. Hey, the government shut down today, but hey, we are reopening tomorrow. It is business as usual because we need to get America back on track, he said. And then he got very thoughtful after that. He's like, you know, it was ordinary people. They're walking into their offices. They dropped their children off before they walked into the Twin Towers. Never to see their children again. And, and he led the, the nation in a, in a bit of mourning there. And then, then he said, he said, but you know, we are going to respond. America is resilient. We are strong. And with confidence, he spoke. And then at the very end of his very short five-minute address to the nation, 12 hours after the attacks on the nation, 60 years since that had happened, by the way, he quoted a verse of Scripture. Do you remember what it was? It was Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. Why did the President of the United States quote that? Because what he was doing was he's saying, yes, we live in an unsafe world. Yes, there were attacks on our nation. But the answer isn't to turn to ourselves. It is to turn to a, a bigger story than ourselves. And that is the story of God. For you are with me. We're in a series this summer called Singing the Psalms. And if you're visiting us for the very first time, welcome. Glad you're here with us. We've been doing this series looking at, at the Psalms as a way to sing basically the songs to our souls as to who God is and who we are in His world. And today we turn our attention to confidence because that's what this psalm is about. It's not just about comfort. Psalm 23 is the most used scripture in funerals, by the way. Perhaps you knew that. But it's about confidence. And so that's the story that when you approach a funeral, that for the Christian there is confidence. That's why there is a psalm of confidence that's used for comfort during a funeral. And what David, who's the author here, what David is saying is that we must be grounded in a story bigger than ourselves. Or all we will see is a world full of fear, an unsafe world. Look, you know the headlines. You know what's happened in our own city, the surge of violence. 
The reality is there has always been violence. There has always been murder. And in certain sections of the city would say, yeah, this has always been our story. But more recently, here on the east side, we've seen that surge of violence rear its ugly head. And, and, and so if we don't have the right perspective, if we don't come from the right uh, world and life view, we could come into that saying, I'm full of anxiety and full of fear. We could be overwhelmed by that. But what David says, no, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to live our lives that way. We don't have to live in fear. And so to that end, three things this morning to get us there. One is we absolutely have to begin with seeing that we are frail. We are absolutely frail. We are frail and assailed. That's what I put in my notes this morning. But second, we are cared for well in the midst of that. In our frailty, we are cared for divinely. Because of that, because we're cared for well, no fear. That fear is a choice, and we don't have to live that way. And I want you to see that with me this morning. So let's jump over the first thing here. And that is that we are frail creatures. You know, if you only start with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then, then he leads me to the green pastures and, 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 and he leads me beside the still waters. You're saying, man, this is idyllic, right? This is serene. It's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden that shalom, that peace is shattered there, beginning in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, as I walk through death valley, right? And, and so... And so David says the reality is Death Valley. The reality is despite the green pastures and the ironic pastures here, Death Valley exists. And here's the question I want you to ask with me this morning, because I was asking it this, this morning and also this week. And that is this, why does God take us through Death Valley? Why does he do that? And I think there are a number of reasons, right, if we had more time. But I'm not going to do that because I don't preach for an hour. And so let me just give you two. One is this. He wants us to see that we are frail. I mean, let's just stop and be honest with ourselves. How many of us right now feel frail? Maybe you do. And if you do, it's because of your circumstances. But let me tell you, what was New York City like on 9-10? We always talk about New York City 9-11, but what was New York on 9-10? Some of you used to live in New York. Some of you lived during these events. What was New York like? New York is a city of hubris. New York City is a, is a city full of confidence. And I dare say Atlanta is not that different. Atlanta has always been a phoenix that rises from the ashes. Resurgence is our motto of our here in the city, right? You know, we are all about like, we are rising from the ashes. We are confident. We're just like President Bush's message. And if your stock accounts look good, if you have securities, after all, if you have trust funds, isn't that interesting, the language that we use around finance? If you have all those things and you're looking good, you may not know how frail you are. If you have strength in your body right now, you may not know how frail you are. If things are going well in your marriage, if, if, uh, if your relationship with your children is, is going well, if they're excelling in school, if you're excelling in your career right now, if you're experiencing achievements, right, you may not know how frail you are. When do you know that you're frail? You see, what David is saying is that we should not be dependent upon our circumstances to know who we actually are. Ashes to ashes, dust from dust. And yet that's how we live our lives. We're practical atheists, right? We, we live as if God doesn't exist, as if we are strong in and of ourselves because of our bank accounts, because of our achievements, because of fill in the blank. And what David is saying right here is that, you know, you've got to know that you are in death's valley. And if you don't know that you're there right now, you will see soon where you're at. 
John Tillman, a writer, a blogger, he put it this way, with a false sense of security stripped away, we can see if our foundation of faith is truly built on Christ or if it is built on the protections of wealth, the conceit of invulnerability, and our trust in power. Yeah. We all have confidence. The question is, is it a true confidence or is it a false confidence? The only way you're going to know, only way you're going to know, is your circumstances. What will your circumstances reveal about the place of your trust? What will it reveal about the source of your confidence, you see? That's Death Valley. So the first thing is, it absolutely will strip us. It will reveal our actual true frailty in this world. But the second thing he does, he doesn't just leave us there in that frailty. He rebuilds us. He reshapes us. Because you see, the valley, as he understands here from a shepherd's perspective, the valley is a place of fear, right? And so you have the sheep, and the sheep are defenseless, and the sheep are in these places, and the wolves are in the crevices, the bears are there back in, back in the day, the lions and so forth, right? And, and, so, and so the valley was a place where the brigands would hide out as well, the thieves and so forth. And so the valley is a place of fear, but it's also a place where in the midst of fear or when we're uh, tempted with that trial of fear is the place where God shapes us for the future more and more into the paths of righteousness, as he says there. How so? Well, I want you to uh, think about it with me through a story. So there's a, the, the name that I had heard before, Maximilian Kolbe, and I, I'd heard it before, but I didn't know where I'd heard it before. And then it just so happened that I was listening to a story about his life yesterday. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan friar who, who lived in the first half of the 20th century in Poland. His father was from Germany, but they were living in Poland. And, and, and when World War II came, they had had a thriving monastery in, in Warsaw. In fact, so much so that they had planted, like church planting, they had planted another monastery in all places Japan, right? And so they have one in Warsaw, they have one in Japan, and thousands of people, their lives are being changed, they're coming to faith through this faithful, intentional community of Franciscan friars in this monastery, bringing Jesus to the nations, to the peoples. It was beautiful. And then the Nazis came. And if you know any story about the Nazis, like they were brutal, but they were, in a sense, almost extra brutal in a place like Poland. And there's history there. There's a reason for that. Now, Maximilian, because he had German citizenship, or a German father, like he had the ability to have special rights while under Nazi regime rule there in Poland, but he refused. And he refused because he wanted to suffer with his people. And so for the next two years, from 1939 to 1941, Maximilian and a couple of the friars who chose to remain under Nazi conditions, they hid 2,000 Jews from the Nazis and from the death camps until they were caught. And, they were, and he was sent to Auschwitz. And there in Auschwitz, uh, one of the very first days that he arrived in the barracks there, the Nazi commander came in and he said, I'm choosing 10 of you to die today. Or not today. He said, to, to, we're going to starve you. And there wasn't like a crime committed. There wasn't food that was stolen or anything like that. It wasn't that a guard was attacked. He said, we're doing this because you were in a death camp and we were showing you death. And one man who was chosen cried out in fear and Kolbe actually rose and he stood up and he said, I will take his place. And so they let him do that. And for the next three weeks, while they were being starved to death, Kolbe encouraged his, his fellow inmates with Scripture and with the voice of God. And at the end of those three weeks, three of them still remained, Kolbe and two others. And the Nazis were impatient, waiting for them to die. And so they gave him a lethal injection. And on August 14th of 41, 
uh, he was murdered, martyred for the faith. It turns out he had a dream when he was a kid, when he was 12 years old, I didn't tell you about. When he was 12, he had a dream that, uh, that, that God presented him two crowns. One was a white crown of purity. The other was a red crown, a crown of martyrdom. And in the dream, in the vision, he says, he said, said God, I will take both. I will take both. And in his mid-40s there in Auschwitz, he received the red crown. And I thought to myself, I was, I was listening to this story, I thought, man, what would I do? I mean, probably as you were hearing the story, you're probably wondering the same thing. Like, how would you respond in a situation like that? And, and I'm, what I, I'm saying that because, because it is only in the valley, in the time of testing and the trial, where, where both characters revealed, but also characters shaped, you see. You're taking just a little bit further on the path of righteousness that David is, is talking about. Listen to what James 1, verses 2 through 4 says. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you're saying to yourself, Scott, that's a wonderful story and great encouragement there. But let me tell you the truth about me right now. The truth is, I don't welcome the valley. And I wonder, are you like that as well? I look at the valley as a place of interruption to comfort. And what David says, no, David says, no, you can find comfort in the valley. And what James is saying is, no, that's where you find God is in the valley. But I don't find God in the valley. I find God outside the valley. I find that as an interruption. And I find myself and my kids and my wife know this, that I can get very angry. I can get very upset when my pathway of confidence and comfort is blocked and challenged by the pathway through the valley of the shadow of death. You with me on that? Amen? So this is a place where we can resist. We don't have necessarily the the heart of James here or Maximilian Kolbe, right? We find ourselves in a place of resistance, I I think. Uh, Certainly that's the case for your pastor today as well. And yet, if I understand what David is saying, that's actually where we find God. And that if we're not in the valley, if we refuse the valley, if we resist the valley or we deny the valley... We also deny the very presence of God because he is the God of the valley, which leads to the second thing here. And that is, how is it that he cares for us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death? And there's several things I want you to see here. And it's in verse uh, 1, or also I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on to say this, He leads me in paths of righteousness, you see. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These aren't really points, but let me just point out three things here. Okay? Three things that, that make him a shepherd. Now, we're, not, we're in an urban environment. We don't think of shepherds that way. Maybe you've heard that used of a pastor. He's the shepherd of the flock, that sort of thing. Well, that's where this comes from, right? But a shepherd... Shepherd had three things that they had to do for the sheep, right? They had to protect, they had to provide, and guide. Protect, provide, and guide. Well, where do we see protection? It's there towards the end of verse 4. It's the rod and the staff that they comfort me, he says. Now, rod, we think maybe something spindly like that. No, this is a billy club. So they would basically, you think of the, you know, the shepherd's staff, right? The candy canes, that's where we get that from, right? Kids, you may not know that, but that's where that comes from. Uh, the candy cane there. And, and so you think of the, the staff in that way, but, but there's also this billy club, and basically they would add things to the end of that club, right? They would add uh, sharp stones or, or metal or things, whatever they had they could do, 
And so when the wolves would come, when the predator would come, they had a weapon. Why? Because the sheep were defenseless. The sheep had no means of protection. They were completely, 100% dependent upon the shepherd for their lives. You see. And so there was that, but there was the second one. It was, it was the staff. And yes, that is what we think about the by hook and crook, right? Right? And, and so and the, the reason why the, the staff was there, because it wasn't just that sheep were defenseless, they were also dumb. Okay? Now, I know that I can be intense up here. I know that. And so I'm going to give you just a moment of levity. I want to show you this video. I'd never show videos of sermons before. There are reasons for that probably. But I'm going to show you one, right? And this is of a sheep. And Mike sent this to us, the staff one day. Michael recognized this. And so this is a sheep who's caught, right? And so it's not a staff, but they're being pulled out. And I want to show you just how dumb a sheep can be. Sheep is free. Awesome. Let's go. Where am I going to go? Back in. There we go. All right. There you go. Yeah. Don't you just love that? He's like in holy... Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, uh, sheep are dumb, right? They're defenseless, but they're dumb. And and, in their their dumbness, they're even more defenseless, right? (laughs) Because they get themselves in trouble. And so, what the the staff was, literally, it was just for that. It was to, to pull them out of crevices in the valley. It was to pull them out of places where they were stuck, you see. And also you could take that staff and you could swat them on the backside too. Or you could pull them away from the edge because sheep are dumb after all. And they have a tendency not only to be in harm's way with the predator, but also to put themselves in harm's way by their own actions. You see, God cares for us not just by protecting us from the predators out there, but also protecting us from ourselves. Because we're dumb, right? Because we do stupid things, you see. And so he's a protector. That's what I first want you to see here. But he's also, secondly, a provider there. Right? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what do you want as a sheep? You want two things. That's it. That's all you need. You need green pastures, right? You need your food, but you also need the water. The still water's there. And so, so I lead you to the green pastures, the shepherd says. I'm going to lead you to the still waters. The sheep is all that they need. They're being provided for here. By the way, the background image here is of Exodus. It's of, uh, and this is what David was thinking of. He was saying, God, you are our great shepherd. Because look, I look into the story of our salvation from Egypt. What did we have in Egypt? We, we were defenseless. We needed protection. And so you took us out of Egypt. And then the charioteers and the army of Egypt and the Pharaoh came after us. And, and when the army came after us, you actually sent a wall of water to destroy the Egyptian army. You protected us with your rod. Right? And then with your staff, you, you, you took us through the desert. You, 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 the third thing there is the guiding, the providing provision to the guidance there. Right? And you took us through the desert. You took us through the wilderness. You took us through the valley of the shadow of death, you see. And so, and so David is looking at God as shepherd, and he's saying God as Savior. God who redeems. God who rescues. That's what it means that he is shepherd. Because you see, here's the last thing about the care. God's presence. Because you see, the shepherd wasn't a 9-to-5 gig Monday through Friday. Or in the new pre post-pandemic age, whenever you want to work kind of thing, right? No, it wasn't that at all. It was a 24-7, I'm living with you sort of thing, right? And so the shepherd lived with the sheep. The shepherd was always around the sheep. Never, the shepherd was never too far from the sheep. And yet here's the reality of your life. Here's the reality of my life. 
How many times have you been in the valley? How many times have you been in a place of high anxiety, a place it's in your body, it's chronic pain, it's in, in the chronic problems in your workplace, right? It's, it, it's the disease in your body, it's in your marriage that you just feel like, will God ever rescue my marriage, right? Or God, will God ever get me out of this career that seems to be circling the drain year in and year out? Why am I such a mess? Why am I so depressed, you say? Whatever it might be, and you're saying to yourself, where is God in all of this? I've been praying for years. Where is God in all of this? And I thought about something that happened several years ago, I, several years ago, many years ago, because my kids are now getting much older. I think it was Carly, and I could be wrong on this. It could have been one of my other ones. But we were in the mall one day. And, and then, you know how in the mall, especially now that uh, malls are like, they're, they're only half filled, it seems. And so now they're using these whole new sections in the middle of the mall for these play areas. And so, you know what I'm talking about, where, where they have fringe seating on the sides and they have this like half acre of just come and play kind of thing like that. And so we were in one of those situations. And, and uh, you know, Carly was uh, really young, maybe four or five, and she's playing with other people, right? And, uh, and so she took her eyes off of us and we're watching and suddenly you could see the look on her eyes, and she just is overwhelmed and excited, like, where's mom? Where's dad? I don't know where they are. And we could see that, and so we call out and say, hey, we're, we're right over here, right over here. We didn't go anywhere, we're right over here. And, like, her countenance went from anxiety to time to play again. Right? And why did that happen? We, we weren't gone, but it seemed like we were gone, you see. Just like last week when I was talking about the stars, remember? And I said, yeah, I had to go to West Virginia to actually know there was a Milky Way, right? The stars are there right now as we sit here. The stars are there in all their beautiful complexity. But because of light pollution, we can't see the stars. God is there even if we don't know that he's there, is what David is saying. What's the language here? It's intimate language. Did you see that? For you are with me. Not generic God, but Yahweh God. Verse 1 and verse 6, more on that here in a second. And so God, you are with me. Your presence goes with me here. Right? And so you're saying, I, okay, Scott, I, I see that, I believe that, but how do I know that? I mean, how do I know that? Right now, some of you, let's be honest, some of you right now are saying, how do I know that that's true? How, do I, how can I experience that? Let me tell you something. Let me, let me be blunt here just for a couple minutes, okay? If you're holding out on a mystical experience of God, man, you're, 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 you're telling God he's got to go through a, He's got to meet a benchmark of yours of how he's got to reveal himself to you, right? And that may not be how he chooses to reveal himself to you. It may not be a mystical experience. It can be. I'm not saying it, it can't be. I'm saying it, it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what you're holding out on, right? I don't know about that. But let me tell you how I know for sure that he will show up in his presence in your life. You ready for it? Wait for it. It's the church. It's what, it's, it's the church. And, and let me be blunt again, Okay. Because, look, if you think that you can experience God apart from the church, that's wishful thinking. It'll never happen. It won't happen, okay, until you commit yourself to the local church. It's not going to happen. Why? Because, because God's people are made in his image, you see. God, God says, you want to get to know me? You want to get to experience me? Go be with God's people. Go be in a place where, where they're proclaiming who I am, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go be with his people. And then when you have the chronic pain in your body, when you have the chronic pain in your marriage, when you have the chronic pain in your workplace, 
when you have these things, this depression, these other things, physical, psychological, and so forth, when you're in a place spiritually where you've never been low, and you say, God, where are you? And God says, I gave you the church. I gave you the church. Let me, let me just be honest with you. Some of you have been dating the church for way too long. And, and I'm going to ask the question, why are you dating the church? I mean, what bride, being the bride of Christ, what bride is going to wait for as long as you're making the bride wait? Man, and I, look, I look around this room, and I, most of you, that is not your story. Like you were saying, I, I have dropped anchor, right? And I say thank you for that. And so maybe think about those who are not here this morning, right? But let me just be brutally honest. I need you, this, the staff, the volunteers, we need you to drop anchor. We need you to say, I'm going to love the bride of Christ. And let, let me, let me, I'm not trying to sell city church right now. I'm trying to sell the church global on you right now, the universal church. And say, if it's not here, let it be somewhere else where the name of Christ is preached with courage and with desire and passion. Let it be that place. But whether it's here or someplace else, drop anchor. Stop dating the church. And say, I want to be a blessing to the nations. I want to be a blessing to the people of this city. I want to be a blessing to God's people and those who are not yet God's people by no longer dating the church or keeping my distance, but, but, but I'm going to commit myself. That's what Mike was talking about with membership coming up here. I mean, I would love for us to have overflow seating for our next membership. I would love for that. I would love for you to come and say, and say I'm, not, I don't, I'm tired of dating in this way. I want to put a ring on it, right? Yeah, I want that for you too. You know why? Not because I'm the pastor of this church. And I'm, yeah, I'm biased. Yeah, of course I am. But because I know how good it is to be with God's people in a place of commitment. Just like in marriage, when you, when you realize that person is committed to you thick and thin, and when you're sick for better or for worse, and sick, you know, sick in, in, in well-being and so forth, and rich and poor, why do we take those vows? Man, because the church is worth dying for. The, the, the one that we love is worth dying for, right? We're committed. And so, and so when he says here that at the very end of verse 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, what's going on there? It's the house of the Lord. You recall that right here before the new heavens and new earth, to dwell in God's house. And so this is the God, the God who says, come, come and build the church with me, you see. And it leads to the last thing here. This is where I close. And that is this place where there is no fear, right? If you have that sort of community in your life, if you have that sort of God in your life who will fight for you on your behalf against the enemies of your faith, not the people, mind you, but as it says in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, the spiritual powers that are arrayed against you in your frailty. And there's no fear. How do I know that? Why would you say that, Scott? Because of verses 1 and 6. How does it begin? David begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And then at the end of verse 6, what does it say there? The house of the Lord forever. His name is only mentioned twice. Verse 1 and verse 6, the very end. You know what he's doing there? It's a very intentional design of this poem. He is your everything. He is your beginning. And he is your end. And David, looking at Exodus, looking at his lone life story, said, I trust by faith that that's true. I have confidence. I no longer have to live in fear, he says. And so how much more so for you and me, why? Because we know the good shepherd. Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 10, he spends virtually the whole chapter there. He's preaching and he's teaching and, and he's teaching 
uh, both his people and those who are not yet his people. And he's saying, look, look, the, the, the shepherd cries out and, and, and his people hear his voice and they respond. And then he says this in verse 11 about himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Think about this story I told you earlier, Maximilian Kolbe. Kolbe laid down his life for one person. And we don't even know if that one person made it to Russia. But Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me and for the nations so that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, that's the meaning of the last verse here, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who brings goodness. Jesus Christ who, who brings us through death itself, mercy and grace. Surely it will follow me and dwell with me in the house of the Lord forever and ever. So how does that shape us? How do we then, in light of Jesus Christ, think about fear? How do we think about death? There's a story told about Dr. Donald Barnhouse, probably not a familiar name to most of you in here, but he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a very famous church in Philadelphia. And tragically, uh, early on, uh, after his, his children were still pretty young, his first wife died. I think it was cancer. And they were on the way to the cemetery to bury her. He's full of grief, as you can imagine. And one of his children had actually asked him, uh, as the story's told on the way to the cemetery, Dad, why did God take Mommy from us? How do you, how do you respond? How, how can you possibly respond in a situation like this? And as they were approaching the cemetery, a, a truck pulled up next to their car. And because it was a truck, it, it cast a shadow over their vehicle. And he looked at the children, and he said, Children, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be hit by a truck or the shadow of the truck? The children didn't miss a beat, and they said, Of course, the shadow, because it wouldn't hurt you so much. And he said, You see, Jesus allowed just the shadow of the truck, of death, to hit your mother. You will see her again. She's not forever dead, but she is risen. Now think about this passage again. Even though I walk through the what? The valley of the what? The shadow of death. Did you catch that? The shadow of death. Jesus Christ took death on itself so that only the shadow of death would hit you now. You know what that means for your life? It means you can do exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. You can taunt death. You can say, where death is your sting. Come at me. You don't, you don't have anything that lasts. You are not the final chapter in my story. Christus victor is. Christ the victor over sin and death is my story. And so, in closing, how does that change how you live today? How can that change how you live? Two things. Very quickly here. Number one, live, choose to live without fear. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of things. And I love to quote him, as you know. But he wrote an essay. Because in his lifetime, they experienced the atomic nuclear energy for the very first time and the threat of the atomic bomb. 
And there's an essay that he wrote called On Living in an Atomic Age. Now listen to what he said here. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but microbes can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. How many of you want to live your life like that? A microbe, a virus. Listen to what Psalm 91 verses 5 and 6 says. Do not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Here's what I'm saying. This is the second thing. This is where I close. You can feast. How many of you want to feast? In a second, we're going to take the table that represents the feast to come in its fullness. It's simply a taste. But why do we do that? We do this as a protest against death itself. We remind death. We taunt death when we come to the communion table. I'm not sure how you, how you think about it, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying Christus Victor, Christ the one who has victory over sin and death. You are not the final word. Feast is, you see. Remember it says in verse 5, you have prepared a table for me in the midst of my enemies. It was a taunt. It was saying that the enemies of God themselves have been brought. They've been taken captive. And now there is a victory feast. And that is this picture here towards the very end of Psalm 23. Feast, you see. And so I want to invite you this week in the midst of chronic pain, in your body, in your marriage, in your mind, in your workplace, wherever the valley shows up for you next. I want to invite you to feast in that place. I want you to invite you to taunt death with confidence that he is Christus Victor, that he has defeated sin and death for you. That is confidence. Not in American confidence. Not in our military might, not in our economy, our, our towers and our banks and so forth. No, in Jesus Christ, who alone has victory over death itself. I'm going to close in doing it just a little bit differently because I want you to hear Psalm 23 again. And, uh, and you know, David was a poet. I want you to hear from one of our poets, Andrew Krigler. Andrew, without knowing that I was going to be doing Psalm 23, actually wrote a poem, essentially, kind of working through uh, Psalm 23, and I want you to hear because as I listened to him do this earlier, I, 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 in the emotion, I, I heard him bring out the flavor of what I've been teaching on, and so, and so I want to invite Andrew to come up and uh, for you to hear in spoken word Psalm 23 again in light of what has just been preached. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I want not. My shepherd is the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures, my shepherd. He makes me. I not want green pastures. He makes me. He restores my soul. He makes me, restores my soul beside still waters and green pastures. 
He leads me to restores my soul for his namesake. In paths of righteousness, he leads me for his namesake. Through the valley of the shadow of death, he restores my soul. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me to righteousness through the valley of the shadow of death beside still waters. He makes me, he leads me in paths of righteousness through the valley of the shadow of death for his namesake. I fear no evil in green pastures and still waters. In the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. My shepherd, you are with me for your namesake. You comfort me in the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and staff comfort to still waters and green pastures and shadow and death. You lead, you restore, you prepare in the valley of the shadow of death. You anoint my head with oil in the valley. Green pastures in the valley. My cup overflows in the valley. You comfort me with shadow staff and death rod to restores my soul. My shepherd. My Lord restores in the valley. My cup overflows in the presence of my enemies in the valley. You anoint my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me in the valley of the shadow of death. Goodness and mercy, my shepherd, is with me in the valley. You prepare a table before me in green pastures and still waters. My enemies follow me. Goodness and mercy follow me. And I will dwell in the valley for his namesake. He leads me in shadows and death. And goodness and mercy with rod and staff he restores. He green pastures. He still waters. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The shepherd in green pastures by still waters in goodness and mercy through the valley with my shepherd, with my Lord. Fear no evil, cup running over forever. Father, thank you so much for that reminder that valley, 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 that shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. As you reign over the valley, that the valley is not the final word. And that Though we would like to live from mountaintop to mountaintop, in order to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, there is a valley that we travel through. But Lord, you are there with us. For Jesus, yourself, you went through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet it wasn't just a shadow for you. It was you fully took on death itself. You took on sin that we might only receive the shadow, and that even the shadow would one day be destroyed. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sin. And so, cause us to choose the feast today. Cause us to choose the joy today. Cause us to choose not to live in fear today because of the Holy Spirit reigning in us today. And so, Lord, have mercy on us. Have goodness for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's take some confession. And maybe a good question would be, as all...